0: And we're back with the injury podcast, Ran Ray, alongside the good doctor herself, Doctor Elwald. It's hot here in Texas. It was nice this morning, but it's we are in the thick of the summer. Um, is it still hot and humid in Florida? I, su- I suspect.
1: Yep, that's just permanent conditions. Although it was so hot yesterday, and it, it didn't um it wasn't like. Horrible, but it didn't rain in the afternoon. And uh, my in-laws kept talking about how they didn't think that the electric company was sending enough electricity. And that's why their air conditioner wasn't working so well. Mm. Now, I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a thing <laughs> yet. So I kind of kept my mouth shut because you don't want to contradict the in-laws who've invited yeah. you over for Sunday dinner, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really think that that's a thing at Is this over point. Over 101?
0: no okay because we had our we've had air conditioning problems since we moved this house and the AC guy the other day said that the units are built for 101 degree heat so anything above 101 they, they they're automatically just going to struggle it's like huh. yeah, perhaps in texas we should get them built for oh, there's a, a smidge ah. smidge higher like special, yeah. special texas units because 101 is not that's like you know early july but from mid-july yeah. to august that's you know
1: i mean In Arizona, it's been, I think they had like a record of like seven days of 115. Yeah. Or over, like, I assume they have different air conditioner rating or they have,
0: yeah, or maybe they're putting in more units to offset that. Or I I don't know. But he was just saying, you know, he goes, Yeah, there's a formula of uh, something Mm -hmm. to footage and da da da. And he goes, You know, over 101, they're always going to struggle. And I was like, Mm -hmm. "That's, That's not encouraging. So, um,
1: you know, did you hear? I, I should have included this in the in the um, articles, but I thought I read something recently. It was a very unclear article, which is maybe why I didn't include it. But it had to do with the Biden administration wants to introduce new regulations for um, water heaters. They basically want to. You have to buy like electric water heaters, maybe. Uh, I I don't know. I couldn't can't exactly or, or or water heaters that are basically like less efficient, don't heat the water as fast and don't heat it as hot because then they'll save energy, which is like, yeah, of course, if you don't, you know, do things to the way you want that, you know, if you, if you're not going to heat, your water as warm and you're not going to heat it as quickly, then of course you're going to save electricity. Uh, Also, if you took a cold shower, you would save electricity. So um, you'd be more energy efficient. Uh, you'd probably also take a much faster shower, and then you also save on water. Yeah. Hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know around here when it's seven billion degrees and our energy bills five to seven hundred dollars a month, we we self regulate. <laughs> we don't we don't need we don't need the hot water heater to regulate. It's like okay, hey, listen, you get the bath, you got four minutes, make it work, you know. <laughs> So,
1: yeah. or either that, or we're just gonna spray you with the hose out outside. You can run around, and we'll spray it with the hose. Yeah. Although the water gets really hot if it's sitting in the hose. Yeah. So. yeah,
0: you gotta give it give it a minute there. So, anyways, okay, let's get to it. Goldman Sachs expects all time high oil demand to spur large deficits, boosting prices. Okay, so um according to this they moved their grant price from 80 to 86 by year end despite okay. all kind of high demand okay mm.
1: yeah so hmm okay so remember I believe at the beginning of the year they were probably at like 120 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now then we went down to 80 but now we're 86 so like where i mean Where's this coming from? Like where we're, we're uh, pretty sizable deficits in the second half, with deficits of almost two million barrels a day in the third quarter. So we're looking at I assume they're factoring in supply cuts. Right. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I guess they're talking about higher demand. Well, OK, so they're expecting U.S. crude oil supply growth to slow down pretty significantly. So remember last week I think was the first week that they said that EIA said that we're that um we're gonna see a decline actually in production, mm-hmm. but they're saying it's not because they're like running out of oil or anything. It's because the um the companies that hold the leases in the most productive areas have just decided to sit on them. Mm-hmm. They're they just don't want to put them in production because prices are too low, I guess costs are still kind of high and they'd rather just wait. Um, But, you know, what's also though interesting is that I just, I think, or I think we have an article later on that talks about how um, demand for offshore oil equipment is soaring.
0: Mm. I mean,
1: like soaring. So that tells me that there's a lot, that, that there's more coming in the pipeline, right? Like it takes a while to get offshore wells up and going but like once you put in that capital once you've got them going it's not like uh you know a a a rig in the Permian. This is like these are well like good producing rigs. So that tells me that we're gonna be seeing more um you know coming online in the future. So um like what's going on? is it is it all China? Is that where they think the demand China and India is
0: what they're saying. China China India India? will make up two million barrels a day of demand pickup in the second half of 2020.
1: That's coming from Joe McMonigal. Hmm, I know Joe. That's a that's a pretty like big um, forecast from Joe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's now the Secretary General of the International Energy Forum. I'm not sure how much insight that gives him into China. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. hanging out mostly in Riyadh, so uh, you know it's it's interesting, like are they basing it on that are they basing it still on the i e a forecast uh
0: yeah the, I, so I the IEA forecast it. was two point is expected to rise by two point four million barrels a day outpacing the previous year's two point three million barrels a day and it two million it says that um Indian china will make up two million a barrels a day of that demand so but i mean again, my my long running thesis now is What is OPEC saying in relation to what they're getting from China? So are, you know, is there talks of OPEC ramping up demand in the second half of the year? I mean, not not, not, not demand, ramping up uh, production?
1: I don't know. I mean, we just heard that, like, India is probably going to buy less from Russia because whatever, whatever, whatever. They're signing something with Iraq. Uh, I mean, I I, I buy the in I buy the India. Like I I do think that India's global demand is grow. India's demand is growing. It's set to grow. It's you know. I, in fact, I think that I think that India is going to become the largest the, just source of demand growth more so than that growth than China. I don't think it's going to surpass China in terms like anytime soon in terms of absolute demand. But I think that it, we're going to see India growing faster than China. But I'm not sure that we're going to see that in the second half of this year. But maybe we will if China is really having problems. I mean, if the problems are as big as that is what some people are saying. I just don't think anybody knows. If somebody did know, it would probably be OPEC, Saudi Arabia. Maybe Joe has some information the rest of us are not privy to, given that the International Energy Forum is headquartered in Riyadh.
0: Mm. Yeah, maybe so. I, call don't him, Joe? I don't know.
1: Fill
0: me in. We're going to see, of course. But for OPEC to let the Chinese demand ramp up and not increase output would, it, it just, it wouldn't make sense unless they can't increase for some reason um, to offset some of that. Why would they want, you know, Prices are coming down. I mean, oil prices are high today, but generally consumer prices, it seems like, are coming down. You know, if, you, if you're if you going to let it.
1: Are consumer prices coming down or are they just not rising anymore? Because I don't feel like consumer prices are coming down like the supermarket. I think, well. I don't know. What do you think? From,
0: from, it seems, well, again, my wife does the shopping, so she'd be better to ask. But um, when I hear her talk, there are definitely certain things that were really high a year ago or six months ago that have come okay. down. Not Not everything, though. I think that yeah. so. But yeah, I could might... be,
1: I, I could be. You know, my my sense could be off because I did move to a location that oh, is yeah. generally a bit more expensive than where I used to live. So, yeah.
0: Housing prices I mean... are down. <laughs> So
1: yeah, except in Florida.
0: Oh, they're coming down in Florida, really? No, they're not. Oh, 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 oh! I said, you know, where I'm at, they're not coming down either. They're, they're. Oh no, housing crazy. prices
1: are not coming down in Florida.
0: Uh, uh-uh. uh. Yeah. So that that's not coming down. Um, but gasoline prices aren't crazy. Yeah. Like
1: that, so... yeah. Gasoline, uh, natural gas prices are low.
0: Natural gas prices are low, so I guess we, we'll, I guess we will, we will see what happens with OPEC and the Chinese and the Indians. So, oil markets are still volatile. U.S. energy chief says, calling for further supplies.
1: Thank you, Jennifer Grandholm. Right. Right. <laughs> Give us some. Tell us something we don't know. Although you know what's interesting, energy markets have actually been fairly not volatile. Like. Mm-hmm there were things that you would have expected to really impact the market recently. Like um, when like Iran, like fired on some ship with carrying oil, like a Chevron tanker Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or something like that. And the U S responded and the the oil market was like, no, we don't care. We don't don't care, whatever, you know, we'll go back to like reading our newspaper or whatever. Uh, I mean, like that kind of thing would have caused a jump of at least like $5 a barrel several years ago. Plus, you know, OPEC is like, oh, and when there was a a wrong headline was printed by uh, Reuters, I think um, they ran an old headline saying that Saudi Arabia is going to cut supply. Prices jumped $2 a barrel. Mm -hmm. I I actually think that that shows that oil markets are actually surprisingly stable right now. I mean, a gas buddy guy had a piece about how gasoline prices are bizarrely stable for this kind of time of year. Like they're Mm -hmm. just basically like been the same not really moving that much and um so like what if is, they want the prices to come
0: down though at? i mean if they want the prices to come down shouldn't they deregulate encourage banks to invest in oil and gas companies and not make them out to be the worst people on the face of the earth like wouldn't that be the steps to take
1: yeah it would um it's i wonder what she was talking about in terms of supplies like what does she What does she she think? Oil market? Let's see. Oh, she was on CNBC Asia. Hmm. Let's see. She said that we want prices to come down. How much farther down do they want them to come? Well, Like they're pretty low. The president's really focused on the impacts on real people who need to get to work and cannot afford that premium. Okay. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, how much lower do you want prices? Like gasoline is pretty good uh, uh you know really like i think the issue is could largely be bait traced to interest rates if they cut interest rates then maybe we'd see prices react mm-hmm. and I, I don't know
0: keep in mind we're getting ready to head into presidential election season and so you know championing lower prices for the larger base is something you you have to do regardless of what your policies have done to negate that because uh, yeah. that's you can't be championing higher prices and trying to win elections. It just usually doesn't, doesn't go well. Just usually. So, um, I, I you know they spent the past few years demonizing refineries and the oil and gas companies and, you know, talking about EVs and it's like, well, yeah, they
1: can't just there. go around and be like, we want more supply and expect that. Like, Oh, the banks are going to listen to that as opposed to like everything else that they've been doing. I'm sorry. Like can't talk about it out of both sides of your mouth here and expect
0: yeah exactly okay um speaking of price uh interest rates anticipation of rate cuts could lead to higher oil uh, could lead oil prices higher rather
1: yeah so interesting so i have this article and then the next article from voyager says oil prices rise as tight supply counters expected rate hikes okay are we gonna ha- are we expecting rate cuts or are we expecting rate hikes i was not sure like what's what the deal is so we have this and and so it says in th- this article, I think, which is kind of really more of a um, analysis. Uh, it says that while the capital markets are expecting the U.S. Federal Reserve to maintain its hawkishness, in other words, eat, keep hiking rates, but probably they, most people think they're not going to uh, hike them as much as you know, with as large increases as, as we've seen. They don't think they will be for long. The anticipation of rate cuts should prop up prices for oil as demand increases wait, I feel like this is confusing. What's going to prop up oil prices? Demand? If demand's increasing, then that's going to prop up oil prices. But we're also anticipating that rates are going to fall. And that's, I'm very confused.
0: Yeah, so if the rates fall, would you have more companies? So I can see, so aside from oil and gas, if the rates fall, you can see more companies borrowing, which could spur on the economy, which could create more, right? But also if the rates fall, you could see, Oil producers trying to borrow more money if they can get it to produce more oil, but
1: okay, but only if banks will lend it. Only to if them. banks
0: will lend them. Will so banks maybe,
1: even lend it to them at lower rates? That's so a question.
0: That might be the that might be the um the thing is that if you're anticipating a rate cut, so like in the housing market around here, if the rates drop, you know the houses that you couldn't afford that was five hundred thousand dollars is now um now you can't afford the note. People go, they go buy, the, they put offers in really quick, and so the real estate market can't catch up. Well, if you're a company looking to borrow money to go expand or hire or, or, or whatever, and there is there is a, a a cut and your credit line goes down, you can go use that capital. And you think they're going to stay low, then you might go spend that money, which could spur on economic growth and increase demand. But to your point, if the producers can't get access to those benefits, then yeah, you could see it. Uh, send prices higher because they can't help offset it. And that's assuming all the other issues that they face are are not a problem. Yeah.
1: Either. I just was, was curious about like, like, I don't think, you know, I, I get that they're anticipating that at a certain point, the Fed will cut interest rates, but I, I think that a lot of people, and, and I remember going in that this was back in November, actually, when I was at the Dallas Fed energy meeting and it like we heard from, you know, like Presidents of, of Fed, you know, we heard from the heads of the, the different Federal Reserve banks. And one of them was like, she made it very clear that, like, the Fed has a very specific mission in terms of dealing with inflation. Like, they are supposed to keep or get inflation down to a certain rate. And so, yeah, hiking interest rates can do bad things to oil prices or to the stock market or to whatever, but they are focused on getting inflation down to a certain level. And so they're going to like keep doing basically like, like that's their number one priority, not these other things. And so they basically are charged with doing that. So that's why I just don't think that until, until inflation really does calm down, I just don't think that we, that they're going to stop hiking interest rates. I think the fact that they've stopped hiking interest rates, that the the rate of increases is slowing indicates that they are like they're trying to not cause like a big recession. But I don't I wouldn't anticipate them to cut interest rates like definitely not this year. I don't even think they're gonna cut them next year. So I don't know. I mean there's obviously certain conditions like, but I just uh, like given what i've heard from the fed like they don't really balance other things that much they they like they got to keep their eye on the ball and that's inflation so i just don't see why like if if i was i mean i don't know like if if you're a trader so i wouldn't be like trading with the idea that like the fed is suddenly going to start cutting yeah
0: mm-hmm. i wouldn't be trading period but
1: <laughs> well yeah that's
0: a different story i guess Okay, surprise, surprise! Russia defies sanctions by selling oil above price cap. Uh, who could have ever, I
1: know,
0: ever seen this coming? I'm stunned. I'm stunned.
1: I know. But what I is know. The- Putin? I mean, like, is does isn't he a big rule follower?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Obviously. What, what is the <laughs> what's the price cap at right now?
1: I believe the price cap was set at $60. 60 dollars a barrel for Europe. So, let's see. Does it say, yeah? Uh, hmm.
0: So it's it sixty.
1: I think it is. Did it even say in this article?
0: Brent's at eighty-two. So if you you know rents at
1: eighty-two, wow.
0: Yeah, Brent's at eighty-two hey. cruising this morning. So or afternoon. So if you're if you're sitting there going, okay, I can get it at eighty-two, or I can pay the Russians seventy-two.
1: Or, or less. They're paying the Russians like sixty or sixty-two.
0: Well, what, what, but you yeah, know, but it's still above the price cap. I'm saying, oh some, yeah, yeah. At some point, if if Brent was 90, you could get it from the Russians probably for 72, right? Oh and, yeah. Yeah, and so you're still getting a huge discount, and the Russians are above the price cap. The price cap probably might be more effective if you know prices were a lot closer to it. But at some point, the spread gets too large where people are just going to ignore it. If you can save that much money, um, per barrel by going to Russia, then what's going to stop you?
1: Exactly. So the question is, like, is all of this oil being, like, you could buy Russian oil above the price cap, just you can't use any Western, like, um, insurance or trading or ships or anything. So are all of these people who are still buying Urals blend at over the price cap, are they doing it solely without any involvement of any, like, Western or any G, what is it, G7 or something, any G7 you know, um, businesses along the way. And if they are, then I would say that that's a means that there's a very oppressive system that's come up to, you know, sell, transport, and like, you know, mix and, and all that and get oil from one place to another, especially Russian oil, that that's a very, like they've really ramped that up. Or are they just not enforcing these sanctions? Okay. And so- now we know how long it takes to enforce sanctions. Like sure. usually like they let it go and then they like find it. And then they've got to like, it's like a whole long, long, long process. And then you pay a fine and all this, but like, like they don't just like send out the warships and they're like, halt. Right. You are in violation of sanctions. No, this is not like a blockade. It's a financial thing and they'll come after you, but it could be in like three years.
0: So let, let me ask you this question. If you, so if you're sitting a tanker out, obviously you're worried about a storm sinking a tanker. I don't know when the last time that's happened, but, or maybe it running ashore somewhere. It took a, you know, got, got, got in the bad channel, something like that. Okay. But aside from that, you're worried about sabotage, I guess would be the big thing, right? Someone attacking, someone shooting something, you know, something like that would probably be one of the top risks that you're worried about. Now, if you were in the sabotage business, are you more likely to sabotage a, a tanker that's insured or not insured? Because if you, if you sabotage insert countries here, tanker that's not insured
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they have no way to recoup that money, that penalty might be pretty stiff.
1: Yeah. They might go after you. They might, really. they might. Yeah, they might. So,
0: so I don't I, know.
1: Do you, do you think that people who are sabotaging tankers, like look and see whether a tankers insured? Like do you think that's something they could even find
0: out? I mean, I guess so. I, I would think I would think if you're in that business, you
1: know, it's a scam.
0: You're trying to you're trying to sabotage it for some reason, uh, or you're trying to do something with it, or you know, if you're illegally moving it off or whatever they're doing, I don't know what, what they're doing, but you're unless you're wanting the wrath of some country on you, then I would think you'd want to try to steer clear of the uninsured tankers. Maybe not, maybe it doesn't matter. I just I'm just sitting here thinking about it. If you know, if you sank two tankers, one's insured and one's not, or if you sabotage one and one's insured, and one's not, or you hijacked one and one's insured, one not, you know, if you if you if you hijacked, think about that. If you just hijack a tanker that's not insured, well, you're, you're now possibly in a world of hurt because there's there's they're going to send in their special forces or whatever to come get you. or the the insurance company, I don't know how it works. Maybe they'll negotiate with you or whatnot. I'd, it would just seem to be more risky to there's the risk of the the ship sinking or getting lost not lost to sea but you know caught a big storm or running ashore or something like that i guess but but from the other side of of people messing with you because this is this would go it would seem to the top levels of these countries that are transporting this this product that if you're messing with these big tankers you might you might really incur some, some true wrath because there's no way for them to recoup their loss
1: good point so, do you think that that um, they should lower the price cap to between twenty and thirty dollars a barrel? Because that's what the um, that's what uh, someone recommends in this article. Uh, the chief economist at the Institute of International Finance, which I assume is like in in um, like England or something. They said that the West has true pricing power. The cap should be lowered to between twenty and thirty dollars a barrel.
0: If you lower to twenty or thirty, you just made the spread larger. So yeah. at sixty, people are going to buy it from them, or is it? So if it's sixty, you're not going to buy it from the Russians because you can't get the insurance. But you'd buy it, right because there's no there's no benefit there. You're not going to get it cheaper. You are lose the insurance. Your 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 whole model's de incentivized. You're not saving any money really. Yeah. Uh, or if you do say something, you can't get the insurance. At if it's eighty to sixty, you might buy from them because you can save a ton of money, and you can you can play that risk game. But if it's at 20 or 30, then the spread is you know at 60, the spread's there because now you've got
1: or if the price cap gets set at 20 or 30, Russia says we're not selling you any oil. Mm -hmm. They just call the bluff and are like, fine. Unless you're willing to pay whatever the market is says our oil is priced at. But whether like maybe the market is actually pricing your oils at like 72 or something or 70 or 65 or 68 or whatever they say pay that price and they're like well we're only going to pay 25 dollars because it's price cap and we're just like hell no we're not going to sell you any oil so it, it it i mean that's what i would do if i was Russia. i would just call the bluff
0: yeah oh yeah i, I think there's Lake. there's no there's no path that that, that works it, it's not working at 60 and i don't think it's because it's too it's too high it's just it doesn't work because it just doesn't work i mean if i remember the story about venezuela sending gold to iran a few years ago on planes you know it's just they're just gonna they're just going to break it and so and then to your point though if russia stopped selling oil and it goes up to 100 because you know that, that those barrels are off the market do you think countries would then not pay whatever russia said they wanted to sell it to them for
1: yeah, I think they would pay. I think that if a if, if price cap was like $20 or $30 a barrel and India wants, India will be like, we will pay $25 a barrel for your oil, Russia. And Russia will say, no, $65 a barrel. Mm-hmm. And India will be like, US, we tried, now we're paying, you know, like, you know, because they like want to be on the good side of the US, but they really, really need Russia's oil and That's they exactly really want it.
0: Exactly right
1: so uh, this this is why i said last year before the press like this thing doesn't make sense it doesn't work it won't make sense if it's too low if it's low enough that it's actually to actually do what it's supposed to accomplish which is hurt putin a quote because that's what the person from the White House said the goal was when asked. He said the goal was to hurt Putin. So if you want to actually hurt Putin in a monetary way, um, you got to set it really low. If you set it really low, he's gonna call the bluff. So you can't have it both they're, they're like this stupid idea. like, oh, we're gonna keep oil on the market so no one suffers, but we're gonna make push like the prices down just for Russia. I just like i I don't know. I really think that and and now they're like,' oh, the price cap is totally working because Russia's making less money than they were. And then you're like, but Russia's making a lot of money on shipping and insurance, and they also increase the taxes on the the oil that their companies are making. So the government is still taking in more money. Maybe like Luke Oil and Rosneft are pissed because their tax went up so they're they you know are making less money but so what they'll just like pay their people less or, or whatever you know putin is still making lots of money from oil
0: yeah yeah and or whatever
1: i don't think they ever want this war to end anyway so
0: well that's uh,
1: that's a totally different subject it's,
0: it's an accurate assessment of a total difference of, of a total different different subject. so yeah <laughs> Okay, global hunt for crude sends offshore oil stocks soaring. Drillers and oceans and, and servicers of ocean wells have climbed ahead of the broader market. All right, are we running out yeah. of oil again? We can't find it. What's the problem?
1: Yeah, apparently, and and I think this is an interesting article from like a stock market perspective because it's saying like, look, Exxon Mobil and Chevron have actually like their their share prices are not doing so great because oil's low it says that they have dragged the S&P 500 energy sector down 4.1% this year. They're among the worst performing groups in the index. On the other side, you've got these offshore oil um, service uh, companies like Noble and Transocean and something called Technip FNC um, and Oceaneering International, which rents robotic vehicles to service underwater wells That are apparently doing amazing this year. Their stocks are up 36 and 78%, Noble and Transocean. Mm -hmm. So from a from a stocker, it's very interesting because they're saying, look, these companies are doing really well because there's a lot of demand for offshore exploration and offshore drilling. Of course, to me, that says that um, once you know, if they find oil and they could, you know, put it into production and bring it to market, then they, you know, that should be a good source of increasing supply, at least in the longer term, maybe not now, but maybe in five years, which I think is something that we all agree that we need, or maybe not all agree, but the people who are living in reality agree that we need.
0: Well, it's, it's one of those things to where when the economy is going well and things are going easy, we can all pretend like, oh, yeah, we can do whatever we want to. But then when it gets a little tight and, and the numbers look a little bit different, um, it's um, it's hard to ignore the reality. And so, yeah. I, but the, the thing with the oil, with searching for oil is that, and we talked about this before, it takes a long time sometimes to, to, to find exactly what all what all they need, right? Yeah. And so you can't. It's not like it's a space where you can just randomly have um startup companies come up in there. And, and
1: oh yeah, no, no, no. This is like, I mean, it's interesting because like clearly you have an entire company whose purpose is to make like robots to service your deep water wells, and I guess you could say that that's kind of like a tech startup. Maybe I don't know. But what's interesting is that since so his ocean rigs are scarce transition, OK, well, this is the, they said it's a transition stock jumped 7 percent last Tuesday after the company reported a three year five hundred and eighteen million dollar contract to deploy one, one of its drill ships to the Gulf of Mexico. That deal was the latest of a lot of a series of large transactions, but it's it's interesting. So, and and then this guy who says that it's not just the Gulf of Mexico, it's also West Africa, Brazil, and Southeast Asia. He says they don't know what oil prices will be in 2026, 2027, 2028. They're willing to commit to the rig right now to ensure that they have it, which is interesting because, like, you know, the past like what, seven years, all we've been hearing is like. Uh, fracking, 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 but the life cycle on that is very short or fairly short compared to the life cycle on offshore drilling. And, you know, so I think that this is a good sign for supply in the future. It's interesting that they're willing to commit to putting money into it now or companies are or whatnot. I'd be interested to see which companies are these Exxon and Chevron committing to this or a total, or are we seeing more like state-owned companies? Like, um, is it Aramco? Is it C? Uh, what is it? CMPC or Canuc or um or um Adnoc? You know, like are the are these are these state-owned companies? uh or are they or are they joint ventures between, mm-hmm. you know, international oil companies and and state-owned ones? Um, I think that would be be telling.
0: Okay. All right, last article kind of goes against what we heard earlier. The Biden administration (laughs) is preparing to raise the royalty rate from 12.5 to 16.7 on federal lands. Uh, You know, is it a deal breaker? Probably not. Who knows? But it doesn't incentivize, you know, more drilling, which would up supply, which theoretically could help gasoline prices and other prices in the future, so... It's kind of that, hey, we say we want something, but we really don't do the things we need to do to encourage it.
1: Yeah, I think that part of it is like they have finally said what it's going to be. Like the very beginning, I think, of Biden administration's time, like right when they took office, they said they were going to change this and they were going to have higher fees. And and um, now they finally said what they're raising the royalties. Like it's been This it's taken them this long to actually finally put that new regulation, or and it's a proposed rule, so it's not you know Mm -hmm. it's still a proposed rule. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I guess we'll we'll see if they get it done. Um, If you remember when they first got in, like you're saying that there were they extended the permit review period, and Uh
1: they've
0: they've made the federal land stuff just miserable. It seems since they've been in. Okay. All right, Dr. Wall, where will you be this week?
1: This week, I will be on investing.com on Thursday. And then on um, Wednesday, actually, I am going to be participating in a webinar uh, discussing energy security and infrastructure development um, for uh, GAIN, which is an organization that... Does something? Sorry, I can't remember what it sounds. Uh, what it what it's about? But it's about energy, and um, there are going to be some uh, interesting politicians there. I think the keynote will be from Representative Mike Carey, and um, I will put the information to sign up for it. It's going to be online, and uh, it should be really interesting. We'll be talking about some of the new developments in permitting and um, energy infrastructure and things like that in the U.S. Okay.
0: Um, a little bit of news here about where I will be. Um, we will not, we are going on uh what are we calling it? We called
1: a, it uh indefinite hiatus.
0: An indefinite hiatus for energy week. I have taken a role at my kids' school to teach a class to coach a team and with all my other stuff going on. Just will not be able to fulfill this obligation anymore. Not sure I'm even gonna do inside the war room either anymore. It's got a a few episodes left to drop. So it's been fun doing this with you, Ellen. Um, been a blast. Yeah,
1: we've really appreciated all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we may be back in the future. We Maybe will back. definitely, uh, you know, let you guys know. But um, it's it's been great. I have learned so much uh, from all of our guests and mm. from Ryan. And I've really appreciated uh, everyone who has taken the time to listen to us. And uh, thank you very much.
0: Yes, couldn't have said it better myself. It's been uh, great, and you've been so gracious to take time with me, so I really appreciate that. And to all the listeners as well, thank you so much. We'll still be out and about on Twitter or wherever you can find us. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, just things of life, kids, school, other commitments are, are crowding my schedule. And so perhaps, as you said, one day. We're not saying it's gone forever. just saying it's gone for now. And I would say we'll be back next week, but we won't. So we'll be back when we're back.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, we may, we'll, uh, you know, keep, keep people posted for uh, anything, uh, you know, that we do in the future, uh, relating to energy as well. And all I can say is that those kids are lucky to have you as a teacher. Ah,
0: you're too kind. All right. Thank you
1: too much homework.
0: No, 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 no. Light homework, light homework. That's the only way to go. So, all right with that, thanks everybody. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: Bye.